0: Yeah, I saw our goal. That's great. Yeah, we'll see.
1: <laughs> we'll see. So welcome, everybody, to our Sunday morning gathering. Um, we're continuing in our series um, looking at section by section in the text. Right now we're up to Chapter 12, Section 5. Today's title is called the SANE Curriculum, the SANE, S-A-N-E, Curriculum, if you will. Um is my sound okay? Testing one, two, three, four. Okay. All right. Um, there's two major themes happening in um, uh, in section five of chapter 12 when G- when Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit's sane curriculum compared to the ego's insane one. doesn't say that outright, but he more than implies it. So, but where he does talk about um, insanity a lot and the other major theme in section five is we let go of the insanity of the way we see the world the unreal world if you will through the eyes of the ego and we're we're willing to change the curriculum of the holy spirit where where we see the real world through the eyes of the holy spirit we let go of the unreal world through the eyes of the ego and we're willing to see the same curriculum the Holy Spirit will teach us what a, a a real world looks like, what it feels like, what it's like to experience that. So those are the two pretty much themes, changing curriculum in Section 5 and an opportunity to see the real world. I think he mentions real world like eight times a lot in those nine paragraphs in Section 5. Another place where he talks about insanity and the real world a lot <laughs> letting go of our insanity so we can see the real world, is in the review lessons for all the lessons we're doing currently. So if you take a look at Lesson 53 on page 86 in the workbook, Lesson 53, page 86, each one of these reviews for um, Lesson 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15, including today's Lesson, Lesson 14, each of these reviews mention insanity <laughs> it also mentions being able to see something else the real something real the real world if you will it's always good to uh, remind ourselves in terms of the metaphysics is um and sometimes i think course students get this a little bit confused at least in terms of what the chart's trying to portray is the real world is not something that happens in heaven If it happens anywhere, it happens in this uh, kind of geographical area, if you will, (laughs) called the the right mind. Actually, it's just an experience. It's not a place. It's not not. It's something out of time and space. We step out of time and space holding Jesus's hand and we have an experience of something else. And we see all these images we made up. The way Jesus sees them, that they are unreal. So, I mean, the, the ironic That irony uh, to calling the real world you see, this world, when you look through the eyes of the Holy Spirit, calling it real, ain't quite that. It's when you realize it is unreal. (laughs) All the images are just that. They're all images. So the real world is when you see the world and you realize it's not real. And Jesus likes to mess with us a little bit, I think, and he calls that the real world. Ain't no real world. <laughs> it's when you look at the world and you realize it ain't real. You look at yourself and you realize this, this stick figure called Tim walking around in it isn't real either. So he's talking about those themes in lesson 53 the insanity of believing it's real, and then the sanity of waking up and realizing it is just that they're images made up. To kind of fool ourselves individually and as collectively, that and believe that this world is really real. So, he's going to talk about the real world in this set of review lessons. He's going to talk about insanity. Which do you want? Which is a major theme in uh, chapter 12, section five making a choice. Once you realize one's really crazy and one isn't, which one would you prefer? And if you prefer the one that's the, the sane curriculum, then you ha- then uh, of necessity you have to ask the Holy Spirit for help to to walk you through that sane curriculum. So right now I'm on page eighty-seven. As an opening meditation, um, it's paragraph four. A review of lesson fourteen. Today's lesson: God did not create a meaningless world. So He says, "How can a meaningless world exist?" A lot of times when he's talking about a meaningless world, compare, he's not quite comparing it. Well, here he is. He's comparing it to seeing a real world. In the early workbook lessons, he's just talking about the way the ego sees everything. He's talking about ego thoughts. He's talking about their projection onto a meaningless world. So how can a meaningless world, in this case, the unreal world, exist if God did not create it? He is the source of all meaning. And everything that is real is in his mind, is in this experience of oneness in heaven. And then he says, it is in my mind, too. Well, kind of, sort of, but not really. <laughs> I mean, we can have our, an experience, a reflection of this oneness in heaven in our right mind. We can have a, a, an experience of of the reflection of of, of reality in our right mind. But we, we don't really experience reality or oneness or any of the really super good stuff until we realize we're still in heaven and we've been pretending we're not. So how can a meaningless world, the unreal world, exist if God did not create it? He is the source of all, meaning everything that is real is in his mind, capital M mind. It's in my mind too, a reflection, because he created it with me. Why should I continue to suffer from the effects of my own normal thoughts, which are crazy, (laughs) my own normal insane thoughts? Why should I continue to suffer from the effects of my own insane thoughts? By the way, if you just came on, I'm on page 87 in the workbook at the top, 87 in the workbook. I continue to suffer from the effects of my own insane thoughts when the perfection of creation is my true home, is my home. Let me remember then the power of my decision. I can choose, let go of the ego and I can choose the Holy Spirit and recognize then where I really abide. So lots of comparisons in these review lessons between what's insane and what's sane, what seeing a, an unreal world is compared to seeing a real world, all from Jesus' point of view. So Jane, you want to read? Paragraph four, and we'll do that as an opening meditation. Get quiet for a little bit, please.
2: Excuse me. God did not create a meaningless world. How can a meaningless world exist if God did not create it? He is the source of all meaning, and everything that is real is in his mind. It is in my mind, too, because he created it with me. Why should I continue to suffer from the effects of my own insane thoughts when the perfection of creation is my home? Let me remember the power of my decision and recognize where I really abide. Thanks. Wonderful. That's really wonderful. Tim, have you ever heard... um, I've heard Ken say it several times, that the holy instant is the real world. Have you heard Ken say that?
1: Yeah, there's two kinds of holy instants. There's the holy instant where we kind of get a glimpse of the real world. And then there's the capital, super capital H holy instant where we go real world and we don't flip flop.
3: Okay, so, yes. thank you.
1: Yes. <laughs> thank so you. We'll get, we'll get quiet for a little bit. Let Let some of that sink in. <laughs> All right. And gently, gently come back.
4: Okay.
1: If we have time at the end of class, we might go some some through some more of this insanity versus sanity, uh, meaningless world versus real world. Usually, we don't, but we'll see. <laughs> but for now, let's look at Chapter Twelve, Section Five. I want to talk about why um, Jesus is so insistent that when we're seeing the ego through the ego's eyes, when we're seeing the world and ourselves as bodies through the ego's eyes, it's it's really insane. It's really crazy. Because what a good definition, at least from Jesus' point of view, is, is you see something that's not real, but you get yourself to believe it's real. That's what he's calling insane. And usually when you begin to wake up, To That you are insane. You're a little less insane than you were two seconds before that because you're beginning to realize most insane people don't know they're insane. (laughs) They're just walking around crazy. And if you're crazy and you're walking around, you don't know it. Clap your hands. Well, I mean, that's what what, (laughs) what Jesus is trying to get us to look at the possibility that we might be a little crazy here. The reason looking at the world is crazy through the ego's eyes is because the ego is crazy. (laughs) The ego is insane. Internally, in our wrong mind, we convince ourselves there was an eye that could sin. There was an eye that could believe it was actually this walking thing of guilt. I'm guilt. I'm guilty for sure. Or there was an I, an individual self, separated from our Father in heaven. Um, now I'm in fear. So we make up all these emotions, and then we believe they're real. We make up all these feelings of sin, guilt, and fear, and we believe they're real. We're doing that, and there's some sense of uh, I am feeling it. I keep forgetting I'm making them up, but there's a, some sense of I I I'm doing, I'm feeling it. Here, we're saying the responsibility is not mine in the world, and this is all crazy. So this is all insane. So the world's premise, from the ego's point of view, is you make a world, and then you make up that, no, I'm not doing it. You're the sinner. No, I'm not guilty. You're guilty. No, I'm not in fear. You should be afraid, because you're going to be punished. I mean, the whole thing gets flipped. So this is crazy enough, and then you flip the whole thing around, and then you've got to blame it on somebody else. So th- that's why it's insane, <laughs> because it's ba- this insanity is based on this insanity, because it's all made up. And once again, walking through the steps of forgiveness, we start where we think we are with this insanity, which I think is the same, because I think I'm right. I'm making a judgment. I think I'm right. It's really an insane curriculum that I'm teaching myself. Every time I make a judgment, I'm saying the ego's curriculum of making something up and projecting on the world is totally sane, It's totally reasonable, totally makes sense. Well, it does from the ego's point of view, <laughs> because the ego doesn't want to disappear into the nothingness from which it came. So the same curriculum is, if you really want to seek and find some kind of peace, Especially peace of mind, then you might want to follow a different teacher besides the ego. That's where all that's going. Any questions about anything so far about insanity or real world or anything? Anything, Maya, please.
5: Yeah, good morning. This, um, I apologize because I'm going to take us just slightly into a term that we haven't used uh, this morning. and, And I know that can cause distraction. So I want to apologize in advance for that. But when you're talking about the real world, would you say that the happy dream is a movement toward or reflection like the holy instant of forgiveness and moving toward the real world? Or would you say it's the same thing, the happy dream?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, sometimes we put on the board all the, how they're all the same in content. Happy dream, holy relationship, holy instant, a glimpse of the real world. And yeah, for sure. The happy dream is, isn't is when the, the, the dream in the world becomes happy. But when I look at the world and I realize it's not real and I'm not real running around in it, that's what is actually a happy experience. That's the happy dream. The happy dream is when you know you're dreaming. The unhappy dream is when, you, when you're when you having a terrible dream in the world, but you think it's real. That's what makes it unhappy. So, yeah, yes, yes. Are you
5: in the real world, then, or is that just a momentary awareness?
1: I think it's a glimpse of the real world. I think the way Jesus uses the happy dream is it feels like an occasional thing, kind of like the holy instant, until you get to the big capital H happy dream where you go there and you stay there
3: mm-hmm. in
1: awareness
5: but the oh, increasing Jesus. awareness from just being in the default position of mindless ego, you
1: know? Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Right.
5: Improved so to speak,
1: but, but that's good. You know, it's kind of like the third step of forgiveness. I mean, that's when we begin to experience peace because we know this is crazy and we know this is crazy.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: You really that's can't true. experience peace as long as you still are invested in either of these flip sides of the same coin, but you know, start where we think we are. You're the center. Am I willing to lay that down a while? Yeah. But happy dream, yes. I think in content, they're all the same. Yeah. And I would say the way Jesus uses it, especially in the section called happy dream, it feels like we step in and out of it. Once again, there ain't no out of it to step into. (laughs) All this is just nothing. (laughs) Yeah. If that makes sense, we're doing good. (laughs) Jesus is like, oh, good boy, good boy. (laughs) You're you're beginning to get at least what I'm trying to tell you. (laughs) Thanks, Maya. Christina?
6: Uh, Okay, so like you just said, you can step in and out of this. So the happy dream can be experienced like in holy instants. When we experience like a holy instant and then we're like, Seem to be checked out, you
1: know. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, it it seems like a time thing. I remember I used to see how long I could stay in a holy instant, which, of course, really kind of blew the holy instant. (laughs) Because as soon as you start counting the seconds, (laughs) minutes at most, you know, you're kind of thrown back into the world of time and space. So, yeah. The good thing about the holy instant is, you know, there ain't no other instance outside of it, even though you made them all up and you actually believed them. You look back and kind of smile at it. Yeah. Thanks, Christina. And Lynn, you got anything? Yes.
3: Yeah, yeah. there's a place in the manual where he says the awareness of dreaming is the function of God's teachers. Like to, to carry that aware, awareness with it, which to me it seems like saying... Forgiveness is the function of God's teachers. I mean, we just don't log into whatever we're seeing and feeling and thinking and believe that it's real. So, you know, part of the dream. Yeah. Thanks.
1: Uh, oh, I was thinking about the... Uh... In the manual, he says, you know, you when we ask how did the impossible happen, how could I ever believe a dream was real? And he goes, Well, don't worry about that. <laughs> just just practice forgiveness. And when you get here, you'll know it's a dream. <laughs> don't worry, don't go around pounding your chest saying this isn't real. <laughs> don't go around saying this is a dream. They'll lock you up. <laughs> <laughs> they probably should lock you up because <laughs> you scare the hell out of them. <laughs> but I mean, in our awareness, we can get to that place where we know it's a dream. <laughs> yeah. Let's actually start reading some of this stuff. Page 225 in the text, chapter 12, section five, the same curriculum, page 225. Only love, only love is strong because it is undivided. One of the things we we harp on a lot in the school, I think, is this idea of not know. We don't go directly to love, but we we say no to what isn't love, if you will. I don't want to do what isn't love anymore. Jesus later calls it we say or we're saying not know, and, and once we begin to get that not know, we can realize there's a lot of words, even a word like undivided, is saying no. I don't want to be divided anymore. Love is the only thing that's really strong. Love is the only thing that can be strong. Undivision is the only thing that's strong. Unity is the only thing that's strong. Otherwise, you know, divided things are are, are much weaker, you know, a a house divided against itself. Right. Bruce?
7: Yeah. uh, Just reading that first sentence in which you just shared reminded me of an outing yesterday for the local photography club. Uh, Had us... uh, going to the, um, the Presidio in Tucson, which is, I I never really thought much about it, but it's, it's like a, you know, it's the original fort that was built in the 1700s and before the, the big town with all the skyscrapers grew up around it kind of thing. And it's just a block or two from the downtown Tucson area with all that. And, uh, and so we got a little tour through this Presidio, which I, I had to look up. It's like, well, that's a fortress. You know, it's basically, it's a garrison where, where soldiers are, and their families are housed and it was actually much bigger than the site that we were on. And then they fired off the cannons and with the people dressed in period garb and, it, you know, it was all impressive musket shots firing and, you know, it's just in it's showing all the, all the, the, the things that out as they would have been in, in that era, very interesting historically. And, and then on the way back, we stopped at a town halfway home uh, called Sajorita and they had a, um, an art sphere, but on the way there, I saw this, um, Neighborhood that said Presidio del Cielo, which is like the fort of heaven, you know. And I thought, well, that's quite an oxymoron. (laughs) But but that's what we do. We 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 uh, you know, looking at your chart um, behind you, you know, heaven doesn't need to defend or attack. So why why would you need a fort in heaven? (laughs) It just struck me. It's like, wow, what an oxymoron. You know, we we think what we made up of course we have to preside over the presidio there's the the authority problem to in spades but you know so now it's like wow we've got this thing you know over the top crazy with with i gotta do this myself and now um it's 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 we think it's strong because it's divided well no it's it's weak because it's divided and anytime we try to keep anyone or anything out of our identity we're making know what we think of as a fort in heaven right yeah
1: Yeah. so you know you read a line like that first line it's like you got to sit with it like i i think you know a little bit and realize if if this is over here and this is over here there's a potential they're not together they're not unified it's not you know there's a threat going on especially if there's not shared interest (laughs) I have an interest over here, you have an interest over here. Well, guess what's going to happen? Unshared interests have to clash. Unshared interests need a fort to protect themselves from the other guy's interests, if you will. So only love is strong. Once we realize we're all one, there's no reason to keep on fighting. The strong, line two, the strong, meaning once we realize we're one, do not attack because they don't see any need to do so. Why would you have to attack yourself? If your brother is you, then you don't have to attack him. Before the idea of attack can even enter your mind, you must have perceived yourself as weak, as separate from your brother, certainly as separate from God. Because you attacked yourself and believe, and he's really hammering here, the first thing you attack in all this is you attack yourself. Not, Not as an ego, but you attack yourself as the son of God. I attack my own true identity, and I say, it's gone, and I make up something else. Because you attacked yourself, you attacked your real self, you thought you did, you believed you did, and believe that the attack was actually effective, I, there's the rub. That's what got us in trouble. We believe the attack was effective. You then behold yourself as weakened. You're separate from something, and that something might come after you. And in this case, it's God, and he probably will come after you. It's all part of the story that we made up. It's not true, but I mean, this is how we have to keep de-evolving in the story to keep it going. Because you attacked yourself and believed that the attack was actually effective, you behold yourself now as weakened. No longer perceiving yourself and your brothers as equal or you and God as with the same content and regarding yourself now as weaker, you attempt to equalize you all know the new Denzel, Denzel Washington movies, The Equalizer. <laughs> he's always equalizing the bad guys. <laughs> it's kind of a weird role for Denzel to play. <laughs> it's, it's not real dramatic. It's just like he's he goes out and takes care of all the victimizers. But that's what he's talking about here. We attempt to equalize the situation that we made. We got to build fort. We got to build weapons. We got to keep the other guy separate from us because he might hurt us. You use attack to do so because you believe that attack was success successful in weakening you. A lot of times, at least when I was reading this for the first time, I had to. Um, Use the word judgment instead of attack. Because I wasn't always blatantly, most of the time I wasn't blatantly attacking somebody else. But the judgments that were going on inside my head were pretty consistent. <laughs> so you judge, you use judgment to do so because you believe that judgment was successful in weakening you. We the first thing we judged what we was that we, we could actually not be the son of God anymore, and then how terrible. That was, and then we're often running weaker than we were before, believing we're weaker. Maya.
5: Yeah, I um, I thought I detected a uh, something I recognize in myself and you, and it's sur- surely at least a projection, which is that uh, when you said, of course, it's not really necessarily an attack, but it's a judgment. We want to soften it down. You know, it's like, oh yeah, that's not really an attack. I've been listening to one of. Ken's old audios, and right at the moment, I don't have at my hand, fingertips which one, but he actually made the statement, a body is an attack, period. If you think you're in a body, that's an attack, and that's really hard for people to swallow who aren't uh, uh, Ken, Ken Wapnick students, but just the, thinking you're a body is an attack and if you if you take it at that level what's nice about it is it actually to me for me it, it it really softens the temptation to feel guilty and feel bad about myself for being a body that i can just say yeah that's that's what that's what uh thinking you're believing you're a body is and then the word attack becomes less horrific not that we don't want to uh that we don't want to start attacking because it's not so bad, <laughs> you know? Anyway, thanks. Yeah.
1: It's a good, it's one of those things that I think, you know, you're sitting around and you're thinking, well, oh, am I having a holy instant right now? Where am I at in this process? Well, if you think you're a body, there's a good chance you've got a few more steps you've got to take <laughs> in the process. I mean, if you think you're a body, Jesus calls it, the ego thinks the body is an engine of destruction. It eats other bodies to stay alive. It kills other bodies to get stuff. I mean, it builds forts to protect the bodies. I mean, it's, it's just endless what we do for the body. Look at all the body stuff you did when you got up this morning. Look at all the body stuff I did when I got up this morning. I had to drink my tea. I had to take my vitamins. I had to stretch with Lynn. I had to make sure her leg, her, her body's leg was working, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> it was body, body, body. I mean, that's not bad stuff. I mean, we kind got to kind of keep it going. But <laughs> to the degree I'm taking it seriously, that's how much I believe I'm a body, doing all that stuff. And not to beat myself up for it, but it's just like, what do I do? Well, I need to practice forgiveness. I start with somebody's body that's bothering me pick a body that's bothering you start with that and that'll eventually will I'll get to the point where I realize you're not a body and I'm not either and when I can actually experience that honestly that's when I know I've hit that holy instant I've hit that third step of forgiveness so yeah tests for figuring out where we're at in the process but that's a big one right all right uh next paragraph that is why the recognition of your own invulnerability is so important to the restoration of your sanity the only way we can recognize we're invulnerable that we're undivided is we need to walk through the process of forgiveness that's the only thing that's going to give us that awareness that recognition not going around saying it I mean, you can't say I'm undivided and believe you're a body at the same time. I mean, even to say that out loud, it's it's a contradiction in terms. (laughs) What am I experiencing right now? So if I'm not experiencing invulnerability, meaning I'm not experiencing I'm totally connected with you in content. I'm totally connected with Jesus in content. If I'm not feeling that right now, I need a little bit of restorative. I need a little bit of forgiveness work to get back to that awareness and that's what he's calling sanity in fact i think it's the only time he uses the word sanity in here even though it's called the same curriculum line two for if you accept your invulnerability by walking through forgiveness you are then recognizing that attack has never had any effect you've never affected yourself as the son of God, and you certainly didn't affect your brothers. Everybody is still the son of God. Attack has had no effect. Judgment has had no effect.
4: And then,
1: line four, therefore by attacking you have actually done nothing. That's the atonement principle. Nothing happened. People wonder what the atonement is. It's not Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. It's just each of us individually, seemingly, beginning to wake up and realize nothing happened. I couldn't attack you, and I couldn't attack myself. We're still the Son of God. Line five, once you realize this, that you didn't do anything, (laughs) and you really need Jesus' help to realize this, I think. Once you realize this, you will no longer see any sense in attack at all. Why am I attacking? Why am I judging? Why am I attacking? Why am I judging? For it manifestly does not work and it can't not protect you because there's nothing to protect. You're already okay. Yet the recognition of your invulnerability has more than negative value. Meaning, I don't just stop attacking. If your attacks on yourself have failed to weaken you, you are still strong, meaning you're still connected. You're, you still can experience love if you stop pretending that you're not love. If you stop pretending you and your brother are not connected at some deep level. If your attacks on yourself have failed to weaken you, you are still strong. You're still connected. You therefore have no need to equalize, attack, build forts, whatever the situation to establish some kind of ego strength. It gets better. (laughs) I mean, we're trying to get to that holy instant, right? Paragraph three, you will never realize, however, you will never realize the utter uselessness of attack only by the only way you can wake up is by recognizing that your attack on yourself has no effects. This is where we believe the attack on ourselves had effects. This is where we believe we actually sinned. We're actually feeling guilt. We're actually terrified God's going to punish us for what we did. All that evaporates. All those crazy feelings evaporate if and when I'm willing to step outside this identification, holding Jesus' hand and look at the silliness of it. Because he knows it's silly. I just have to invite him into that situation or this part of the process to help me realize I'm still loved. I still am loved. You will never realize the utter uselessness of attack until you recognize that your attack on yourself has had no effects i couldn't leave heaven i couldn't separate from jesus whatever ways you want to describe that experience in that moment
5: Uh, 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 uh. oh yeah
1: line two for others do react to attack if they perceive it And if you are trying to attack them, you will be unable to avoid interpreting this as reinforcement to everything you internally believe. So what he's saying there is, if you keep on judging others, you're going to think they're judging you, and you're just repeating this horrific cycle. Yeah, I separated. No, I don't want to admit it. It's somebody else's fault. Look, they're attacking me. I'm justified in attacking back, and on and on and on attack just becomes the game or you know it's an inherent part of the process to keep that identification going and it's a vicious cycle there's no end in sight any any comments any about any of that Maya you got something go ahead
5: yeah I do um I wanted to um be more precise uh for what I had said before I found the workshop title and I found my, the quote that I wrote carefully down, so that uh, because I don't feel I represented it quite accurately. Since we're talking about attack, you know, I thought it was appropriate. Um, it's it's from an audio called "Living in the World: Prison or Classroom," and it's absolutely excellent. Um, and here's the quote: "Bodies are attack thoughts," and the word "thought" is so important here. Bodies are attack thoughts in the ego's wrong mind. And it's our belief in the body, it's our belief in the ego that gets us, uh, uh, reinforces the unconscious guilt that we're, you know, we're murderers and that we're, we're attackers. So uh, it really helps to distinguish that it's a thought in the split mind.
1: When you, when you said that about prison or classroom, I went back to the whole fourth thing. The world was made as a, as a place to keep God out. It's a fort, and we're keeping God out. This body was made as a fort to keep God out. Not because it's real, just because I believe that that in it. It doesn't look like I'm trying to keep God out. I mean, that's what the Course is trying to help us to wake up to. If we believe we're a body at all, it is an attack. It is a fort. It's trying to keep God out, because it's not who we truly are.
5: And it just Once, reinforces... Again, it just reinforces the unconscious guilt when we believe that we have attacked. So I can see how learning to believe that we're not bodies is essential to getting free of, of the guilt. I mean, you still have to look at the guilt, but, you know, and seeing that that's all made up too. Just to, It's just that vicious cycle, the attack guilt cycle that spins around.
1: And, and then we might not believe an attack actually works. I mean, look at me. I'm independent. <laughs> I'm separate. <laughs> I mean, there was there was a purpose for being independent and separate. We wanted to try it out, or we got ourselves to believe somehow it was a good idea. Yeah. And we're not talking about form. We're not talking about my body separate from somebody else's. We're inherently, we're talking about I'm separate from Jesus. That's where the real issue began especially in respect to the Course, and using Jesus as as a symbol of that connection, that, that true identity that we are. So we wind up reinforcing all this crazy stuff, like I think Maya was saying. And we don't even realize we're reinforcing separation. I did this terrible thing, now I'm blaming somebody else, and it just goes on and on and on. I'm also reinforcing in my awareness that attack works, because I actually believe I'm separate. So it gets reinforced in all kinds of crazy ways. And then he says, the only place you can really cancel out all this reinforcement is not in the world. <laughs> I mean, you can build all the forts in your world or take down all the forts in the world you want. No more borders or whatever. I'm not, I'm not pro-border or, or and, oh, actually I probably am pro-border at this point, but in terms of the dream a little bit anyway, but I mean, in terms of a, uh, What's really going on? It's got nothing to do with borders and forts in the world. It's this border or a fort I've built as a separate identity. So anyway, the only place you can cancel out all reinforcement is in your mind, not in the world. For you are always the first point of your attack. That's where it all started. I attacked my own true identity first. And if this has never been, guess what? Doesn't really have any real consequences. <laughs> that's a good thing. Right, Sakina, that's a good thing, huh? <laughs> Shoo. <laughs> all right. Anybody comments or thoughts about any of that? Vicki?
8: Um, I like all the the uh, reassurances that our tax our tax on ourselves, have no consequence, or have never happened, or, and um, it's, it's interesting, because like, when I get into one of my swirls, where I'm definitely attacking myself, if not the person right next to me, silently in my mind, and there's this um, loop, 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 and then you remember something from the course, or it comes to you, and and there's a realization that all of it was nothing, but yet there's something probably from my Christian stuff that means, well, we've got to do some penance here. We, Maybe you should clean up the house a little bit, you know, some, some form work that will make it look like you've come through something. And it's just saying here, <laughs> none of it, that all of it is nothing, that it doesn't do anything to you because you're not who you think you are. And I, I'm writing down all of these um, assurances that my attacks don't hurt me. And um, it's a, a good lesson or a good section for me to be studying today. And uh, thank you.
1: I love that. Uh, I don't love it, but I mean, I, I always thought it was ironic that obsession with cleaning Like I'll show God, I'll clean everything. (laughs) He won't clean it; I'll clean it. I I used to get high with people, and they start cleaning. I'm thinking, why'd you get high just so you could clean? (laughs) It used to drive me crazy. (laughs) They love cleaning. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. Thanks, Vicky. Lynn, did you have anything? No. Okay. Sally, you want to read that next paragraph? comment as you go or at the end or whatever.
9: Sure. Um, Whenever I attack, I always feel guilty. There's always some guilt involved, you know, like I I shouldn't have done that. You know, there's something going on here. Uh, So in in Ken's um, uh, CD uh, guilt remorse, uh, Ken has a perfect um, remedy for that. And he says, you know, get to the remorse, you know, get from guilt to remorse. And, uh, and he says, um, make a phone call, write a note, you know, I mean, it's as a simple effect. It, it, it was beautiful that that, that the way he um, explains, and I've got it written down my notes here. But anyhow, it's just an, something to think about. Um, Because because we do feel guilty when we do do some little creepy thing, you know, I mean, at least I do. Maybe that's the Christian, up, you know, sort of Christian (laughs) upbringing. Okay, paragraph four. The Holy Spirit's love is your strength for yours is divided and therefore not real. You cannot trust your own love when you attack it. (laughs) You cannot learn a perfect love with a split mind because a split mind has made itself a poor learner. You tried to make the separation eternal because you wanted to retain the characteristics of creation, but with your own content, sure. Yet creation is not of you and poor learners do need special teaching. Um, well, there, there's the Holy Spirit's love is your strength, uh, for yours is divided. Uh, you cannot trust your own love. Well, Jesus, you know, tells us we don't, we don't know what love is. <laughs> we, so that's one of our, our problems is trying to figure out what love really is. Um, uh, you cannot learn a perfect love with a split mind, so we're uh, we're in la la land there.
1: So, but- oh, were you did you feel insulted, Sally, when he called you a poor learner? No, oh. <laughs> okay,
2: I know I am, <laughs> I know the truth of me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you talking about me? <laughs>
9: yeah, yeah, ta- yeah, yeah, you, you, you. <laughs> So yeah, I I, I get that, um, but um, you know, we, we, I love what Maya said. We we think our body, we're bodies, we we use the body to separate, and so now we're um, invol invulner- invulnerable or in- vulnerable and and on our own, um, and it it's the body is a. We created the body when we when we left when we separated so sure you know just being in the body is is guilt-ridden <laughs> as far as this course is concerned um but but then we're not then he happily tells us we're not our body so that's that's what i hang on to <laughs> i gotta take care of it but it's not me <laughs> i'm sure happy about that <laughs>
4: Yeah, right.
9: Anyway, enough of me here.
1: <laughs> thanks, thanks, Ellie. All right, anybody else on any of that? Chris Jason, you want to read five?
0: Yes. All right. <clears throat> Excuse me.
4: <laughs> or do
0: I want to read paragraph five? <laughs> I already read it once today. That that was enough. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. I'll see if I can't get through it. You have learning handicaps in a very literal sense. Not figurative, literal. There are areas in your learning skills that are so impaired that you can progress only under constant, clear-cut direction provided by a teacher who can transcend your limited resources. Hooray for special ed teachers, huh? <laughs> <laughs> he becomes your resource because of, because of yourself you cannot learn. The learning situation in which you placed yourself is impossible. And in this situation, you clearly require a special teacher and a special curriculum. Poor learners are not good choices as teachers, either for themselves or for anyone else. You would hardly turn to them to establish the curriculum by which they can escape from their limitations. I'm gonna have to read that one again. You would hardly turn to them to establish the curriculum by which they can escape from their limitations. If they understood what is beyond them, they would not be handicapped. So you're not really looking for help from other people that are just as lost as you are, or thinking that you're a pretty good teacher and everything. I've uh, recently been, uh, especially with today's uh, lesson, just sensing, uh, you know, sort of nothing means anything and, and all that. And... Uh, a sense of relief from it, just looking at the world, and and this is not real, and I give all the meaning this has for me, and it's like uh, a sense of relief has come with all these because it's like, thank goodness, thank goodness. And that paragraph is, uh, I think I might have put some emphasis, made it even sound like somebody who's trying to make me feel guilty, and I don't think Jesus ever does that. He's just very as um, direct and politely as he can telling you, um, you can't learn this course by yourself. And I've heard that a lot in this class has been very helpful to realize, don't try to read this on your own. Um, Meaning don't, don't read it as an ego. Don't read it as, oh, I can do this. You know, I'm going to set a goal to uh, really understand this stuff. I set a goal to listen to Ken and all the chapters and everything, but I know partly that was an ego goal, to listen to his DVDs and everything, so I'm going to get through this all this uh, text and be enlightened, and when I got to uh, sometimes two hours, well, that was too long, I started to break it down an hour here, an hour there, but the main thing I think I did was just freaking relax, will you, and uh, don't try to... Don't try so hard. And boy, does it come easy now. It's just like, uh, thank you, Jesus, kind of, you know. So, anyway, I could kind of uh, laugh at this because I also think of, you know, when we work, when you work with somebody that does have a handicap, that whatever it is, physical or mental or something, and they literally cannot uh, walk by themselves or read or they're dyslexic or something that you can't blame them uh, and they literally need a special teacher and i think that's what he's saying here we, if you as long as you're going to go with uh, your the mm-hmm. ego you you're you're stuck and you have a so he I don't think he called it a severe learning disability impaired that you can uh, your learning skills are so impaired that you can progress only under constant clear cut direction provided by a teacher who can transcend your limited resources. Well, thank God we have one. You know, it's kind of like uh, um, if I can get to the point where I will trust that. And I think though that sense of um, um, relief is a sign that I have. At least I'm going in that direction. Now, Tim, would you pick that paragraph just for me? You'd read it. This morning, and so this is Chris has got to read this because he's a dumb numbskull. <laughs> okay, thank you. I'm not sure if you're saying yes or no, but wanna... <laughs> oh, good, <laughs> <You did> well.
1: <laughs>
7: uh.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Chris.
7: Bruce, I, I think we're all in the same remedial classroom, and we all need the same. Special Ed teacher, thank you, Holy Spirit.
1: <laughs> well, you think about the process, you know, like when 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 I'm practicing forgiveness, it's like I think I'm an I. I think I'm reaching out to somebody else, call it whoever, and I know that somehow, in the back of my awareness, that that one I'm calling out to knows we're connected. I mean, there's there's some sense of that. I'm not asking ego for help. I'm asking the teacher that knows we're connected already for help. So there's a willingness to go there. I don't know how it happens. I don't know why when I look at somebody in my mind's eye and I'm having a problem with them and I ask Jesus for help, suddenly they're not, I begin to realize it was never that, I can't even remember what they did that was driving me crazy. I don't know how that works. (laughs) But somehow he's beginning to show me that Not only is he not the problem, that underneath all that, we might all be connected. I don't know that for sure yet, but at least I can start with they're not the problem. (laughs) So I really do need to step outside of this box called me, whether it's a Tim or it's an ego or whatever you want to call it, and ask something that knows I'm connected already with it for help. I mean, I just start where I'm at. I don't know how it works, but it seems
0: to work. Otherwise, why do it? <laughs> and since I read, I'm going to cut in on Jane. I think another sign for me is when I do something that is um, that depends on my reaction. If I, I forgot something or I made a mistake, if I call myself a dumbass for doing it or get upset, you know, really get upset about it, obviously I'm listening to the ego. But if I laugh about it, if I laugh about uh. I could laugh about this one now because I, one time I threw a golf club in Florida and it went into this hedge and the hedge was full of pricklers and stuff. And I, but I had to get my club back and I went there and got it and came out and I was bleeding from the face and the legs and everything. <laughs> and I was playing with my brother, my younger brother, who's not professional, by the way. And about the third hole from that, he said, Well, you're, you still got a little blood on your face here. And at the time, you know, now, years later, it's funny, but I think my 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 um, time to get to that point is, is quickening a little bit. Thank you, Jane, for letting me butt in there.
1: It was a good example of, you know, we decide to be an ego and we crawl into all these pricklies and we're bleeding like crazy and then we blame it on somebody else. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Go ahead, Jane.
2: That was great, Chris. That was instant karma for you. Wasn't it? <laughs> um, Tim, I think it's cute when you say you don't know how that happened. Yes, you do. It's the miracle that comes in. The miracle comes in to show us that our perception is all wrong, which then leads us instantly to the Holy Spirit. But I don't think that we realize. I mean, it took me a long time to really have a full understanding of, of miracles. But thats I always think of them now as, as um they preempt me to get to the Holy Spirit. And I, I truly believe it. They really don't do anything except telling me that all my, what I'm thinking and everything that I believe is not correct. Thank you.
10: Yeah,
1: thanks, Jane. And I think, yeah, that's true. Underneath it all, we we, we know the content. I mean, because we, we try to judge it and attack it all the time. But part of us has to know what the real content is. At one point, he says, don't worry about the Holy, how, how the Holy Spirit does this, because we'll get caught up in all the how in the world can he help me see something differently and then try to figure it out before I actually ask him for help. So, I mean, we don't have to like. And how can the ego understand anything? like that? So, I mean, I mean, the ego does not understand connection. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, Marissa, then on. Thanks, Shane. Hey,
11: everybody. Uh, sorry to be off of video today, but you'll be thankful <laughs> that I'm not on video. Um, just was <laughs> uh, commenting on what was said that uh, what Chris uh, was reading, I think it takes insult and injury for Jesus to lure us into the holy instant. Uh, he you know, is explaining the truth that we are poor learners and that we don't know what the heck we're talking about or what we're seeing and that we're insane. And since, I mean, Vicki said earlier that nothing happened. And since um, it takes us to be in the holy instant to realize that nothing happened and that we are sinless, I think, uh, this is one of his squirrely ways of bringing us there, you know, just kind of showing us what the truth is in our daily existence. And you could say this about any paragraph in the course, but how he lures us by being just very blatant about our learning is, is such a, uh, you know, it's, it's refreshing on the one hand, a slap in the face on the other, but such, uh, such good learning, such practical learning that he bring us from uh, if the world was made as an attack on god then what we're doing here is all attack that's our identity so the only way out of that and out of that feeling of sin and the self-accusation is to take us where he's leading us and luring us to so beautifully in this passage thanks Chris, for reading it so nicely and your comments
1: thanks marissa were you calling chris Jansen squirrely or Jesus squirrely or both, I guess.
11: <laughs> Jesus, but uh, Chris was more prickly because he fell into the bush to look, to procure his iron or driver. <laughs> I didn't know what you were using. <laughs> or putter. Oh, were you putting at the time? Okay, thanks.
0: Yeah, right. I didn't fall in. I climbed in on purpose <laughs> to get my club back.
11: <laughs> That's the perfect metaphor for what yeah, we do, yeah. every day, right? <laughs>
0: climbed into the hole. Yeah,
11: exactly.
6: Thank you.
0: Thanks, Anna. Please.
6: I was um, <clears throat> I was looking for how to raise my hand. I don't know why it changes each time on different. I don't know. Anyway, um, I what I wanted to comment on of my own experience in the last paragraph um, was the was was the line that says um you tried to make the separation eternal because you wanted to retain the characteristics of creation but with your own content and in my mind i read it as with your own content (laughs) which (laughs) which made me laugh because it's like as long as i think i'm happy as long as i think i'm content you know i'm just going along with me 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 my autonomous independent glorious individuality (laughs) and um and then like the next paragraph that also i loved how chris read it and um your comments chris i the first line is you have learning handicaps in a very literal sense. And then, oh my gosh, now I'm going into like golf handicaps, like my <laughs> victimized handicaps anyway. And then the last line says, if they understood what is beyond them, they wouldn't, they would not be handicapped. Meaning for me, I, what I saw was as long as I think that I know, you know, as a, and I can and I can sit in this place in myself and feel it, like, oh, I, I have superior knowledge and awareness and I think I know, that's my handicap is believing that I know something. And as long as I understand that this is all beyond me and I need to be taught, then I'm actually sitting in the student's seat um, and possibly can teach from that place. Or in my, in my language, more like share, which is something that I want to do. I want to be sharing truth rather than, um, yeah. So it's goes back to the belief of, of that I, that I know something, you know, in my in my small mind I guess
1: yeah. yeah oh yeah you got me thinking about the word handicaps I mean with the way we use it it seems to be something inherent that happened to me like I didn't have any I didn't choose to have these handicaps but the way Jesus is describing it they're not inherent handicaps or what our, Chris chose to believe that he if he dives into the pricklies he'll feel some kind of content. <laughs> I like that. Jesus is pretty tricky when he does double meaning on those words. He knows what he's doing. Your own, your own happiness, in, 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 you'll have your, you'll be happy if you jump into the pricklies. That's what we convince ourselves of. That's just the choice to believe that. Yeah, that's good. Thanks, Anna. Bruce.
7: Yeah, along the lines of Marissa's comment about uh, uh, this squirrely thing. I think I th- realizing you know we're all nuts here. And Jesus is just gathering the nets here, so he can you know, give us his, his curriculum. Um, and then I was thinking about Chris's, what you just shared about Chris diving into the the prickly stuff. I was just thinking, gee, this afternoon on my my schedule, I was going to go out and I finished harvesting all five big bins of lemons. Now, now I want to voluntarily, <laughs> of my own accord, dive into the the, the lemon tree. And and uh, see if I can trim out some more of those those the, the little dead branches in there that have all the prickly. So that next time I go in next year, it won't be quite so prickly. So anyway, I, I'm just I, I'll, I'll I'll try to remember that as I go in there with my pruning shears. <laughs> that I, I I I volunteered to do this. What a metaphor. Yeah, thank you. Brilliant. Thanks, Rich. Maya.
5: Yeah, I just was chuckling inside about the um, ego. <laughs> In the, in the so-called world, the ego's definition of handicap, um, you know, it's PC to say special, right? So then the whole thing really uh, deepens in its absurdity that, because we talk about special needs. It's, it's really a euphemism for, you know, thinking that someone is less than you are, you know, and feeling superior to them or patronizing them. And and so all of that is just the convolution of the way that the thought system of the ego, you know, and the complexity of it, the way it works.
1: Yeah, it's yeah, a good point. Every chosen handicap that I believe in is all about specialness.
11: Yeah. I think Lynn had something.
5: Yes.
3: Yeah, I, I was just uh, thinking, you know, th- this is a course in miracles, and. Uh, I was aware of how infrequently we use the word miracle, but someone had just used it, and um, a couple of thoughts came to my mind. First of all, Jesus says miracles are natural. When they do not occur, something's gone wrong. When I'm not seeing the reflection of love all around me, something's gone wrong. And uh, then he says, the miracle is always there. But where are you? You know, that moment when we're willing to say, you know, I don't know anything. I really don't know anything here. I've made up a whole lot of stuff of what I think is going wrong. And you know what? I don't know. I just don't know. That's the moment when the miracle can, you know, be not revealed that we can actually see the miracle because it's always there, it's always available. And then another fabulous place where he talks about the miracle is, um, you know, at the end of "What Is the Miracle?" and he says, "Miracles fall." Like drops of healing rain upon a dry and dusty world, where starved and cra- and thirsty creatures, creatures, he calls us creatures, came to die. And uh, now they have water. The miracle being the water, you know, Now they have water. Now the world is green. And everywhere signs of life spring up. That's the miracle you know, where we see differently um, just because we were willing to admit we don't know anything. So, um, yeah, that's it. The miracles are here and they're all around us and we'll see them only when we're willing, willing to see what's really there. Yeah, thank you.
1: I just had this image of, I'm standing here like this and I'm telling Jesus, I can't see the miracle. I can't see the miracle. And he's like, well, let me help you take your hands down. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) oh, this is the handicap. I got my hands up over my eyes. I can't see what's happening. (laughs)
7: Thanks,
1: Lynn. Bruce.
7: Um, Yeah. I was just thinking that, you know, in the, The Urtex, the original version before it was published, maybe it really said, all my brothers are special ed. (laughs) That's good. All right, let's see.
1: Oh, Marissa has some.
11: Just following up what Lynn said, uh, the recipe to reject a miracle would be self-accusation, whether projected or injected. That's the best way to shoo it away. Mm-hmm. Mm. judgment mm. <laughs> aka judgment <laughs> thanks
4: yeah. right. I'm just
11: reinforcing stuff in myself So, <laughs> which this group is just you're all gems for helping me do that <laughs> thank you
1: thank, thanks Marissa Myra you want to read paragraph 6 and 7 and comment as you go please
10: okay thank you Tim okay You do not know the meaning of love, and that is your handicap, (laughs) so. And we all have that in common. Do not attempt to teach yourself what you do not understand. And do not try to set up curriculum goals where yours have clearly failed. Very good advice, yeah? Your learning goal has been not to learn. (laughs) No, oh, I love his way of being being funny. Yeah, his sense of humor. Your learning goal has been not to learn, and this cannot lead to success.
8: <laughs>
10: <laughs> you cannot transfer what you have not learned. <laughs> And the, <laughs> and the impairment of the ability to generalize is a crucial learning failure. Yeah, because he wants us to learn to generalize, so this is a learning failure. Boy, oh boy. Would you ask those who have failed to learn what learning aids are for? <laughs> oh, they do not know. Oh. If they could interpret the AIDS correctly, they would have learned from them. (laughs) You just have to love our teacher, you know, (laughs) you just have to love him. He's so funny. Yeah, that's really a very good description of how we have been hopelessly learning from something that can teach us something called the ego. And it doesn't know anything. So it's been teaching us also that we don't know anything. (laughs) Okay. Oh yeah, there you have it. I have said that the ego's rule is seek and do not find. Yeah. Translated into curricular terms. This means try to learn, but do not succeed. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. The result of this curriculum goal is obvious. Every legitimate teaching aid, every real instruction, and every sensible guide to learning will be misinterpreted. Since they are all facilitating the learning, this strange curriculum is against. (laughs) If you are trying to learn how not to learn, (laughs) and the aim of your teaching is to defeat yourself, what can you expect but confusion? He's really, <laughs> he doesn't stop one joke after another joke. Yeah. Ah. Such a curriculum does not make sense. <laughs> no. This attempt at learning has so weakened your mind that you cannot love. For the curriculum you have chosen is against love and amounts to a course in how to attack yourself. Well, we can really, accept that and really say okay, I think it's time now to stop attacking myself and have one of those Helen and Bill moments and say yes, I am definitely ready for the other way. Yeah. A supplementary goal in this curriculum is learning how not to overcome the split that makes its primary aim believable. That's a supplementary goal and we don't want the supplement anymore, we only want the real deal. And you will not overcome the split in this curriculum, for all your learning will be on its behalf, when we keep on choosing for the ego. Yet your mind speaks against your learning, as your learning speaks against your mind. (laughs) And so you fight against all learning, and succeed, for that is what you want. Okay really telling us, we, we whatever we ask for, that's what we are going to receive, and we still want to be confused, we will remain confused until we decide otherwise. But perhaps you do not realize even yet that there is something you want to learn Aww. and that you can learn it because it is your choice to do so. Mm-hmm. We can, we can. When we realize how he's presenting this to us in a very funny way, realize what you've been doing all these years with the ego as your teacher. Just really stop and look at all of this. Look how ridiculous it is. Laugh at my jokes. Laugh, son of God, remember to laugh and know now that you have the power to choose differently. It's a very, very powerful choice. Never underestimate your thoughts. And you can learn this because you can choose to otherwise. You just got to love our teacher. Thank you.
1: Very good. Thanks, Myra. Uh, And the the next sentence is, (laughs) you have tried to learn what you don't want to learn. You can take heart. (laughs) It's like like Chris's brother turning to him three holes later and going, oh, by the way, you're still bleeding. (laughs) not sure that was a good idea. (laughs) Take her. (laughs) That's good. Lynn, Karuna, you want to read paragraph eight?
5: Sure. Wait, Maya had something. Oh. Oh, thanks, Christine. Yeah, I just wanted to say that what's what has become very empowering for me, when I look at the pronoun, you know, that Jesus is talking to me as a decision maker. And that is so empowering, because I'm always at choice to choose differently. And so, uh, you know, we, as believing in the ego, we've made lots of mistakes, uh, lots of silly mistakes. But w- he's saying, you have agency here, you have power, and you can change this. It's your choice. And wow, once we really get behind that, that that can turn everything around for us. Thanks.
1: Thanks, Maya. Hmm. But what do you have to do first? That's what's coming up. (laughs) Line three. (laughs)
3: Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Maya. I think, you know, the Holy Spirit only hears um, the the prayer of the heart. So if I don't really want to see what's really, really here, um, I'm not going to see it regardless of how much practicing I do if the prayer of my heart isn't to recognize the truth, that the truth is true and the truth is love and it's all around me. But as long as I don't really want that, You know, I'm going against my heart. (laughs) So let's read on here. You, who have tried to learn what you do not want, should take heart. For although the curriculum you set yourself is depressing indeed, it is merely ridiculous if you look at it. (laughs) We've been laughing a lot, so we are seeing it's ridiculous. (laughs) Is it not possible that the way to achieve a goal is not to attain it? Oh, I love this line. Resign now as your own teacher. This resignation will not lead to depression. It is merely the result of an honest appraisal of what you have taught yourself and of the learning outcomes that have resulted. They have not made me happy. They have not given me freedom. They have not brought me certainty and conviction in the truth. Under the proper learning conditions, which you can neither provide nor understand, you will become an excellent learner and an excellent teacher. Hallelujah. But it is not so yet. And will not be so until the whole learning situation, as you have set it up, is reversed. Aha! Uh-huh. So I think the world out there is telling me who I am and what I am. And the fact of the matter is, I'm the one who set the whole thing up and has it tell me that. I need to choose a different teacher. I need to choose a teacher of love. I need to choose the Holy Spirit. It's just that simple. Thank you. Mm. I set it up. It's possible I can change it. Yeah. Uh, Bruce.
7: Yeah, that uh, third sentence pairs nicely with uh, one that's often combined with it: is uh, Chapter twenty-eight, Section one, Paragraph seven, Sentence one. Remember, nothing that you taught yourself, for you were badly taught. <laughs> more, more, more wonderful ego lampooning from uh, Jesus, Holy Spirit. Yeah, thanks. Yeah.
4: Hmm.
1: All right. Paragraph nine. Jim Tynan, you want to read nine? Thanks, Lou. Thanks, Bruce. Sure.
4: Paragraph nine. Your learning potential, properly understood, is limitless because it will lead you to God. You can teach the way to him and learn it if you follow the teacher who knows the way to him and understands his curriculum for learning it. The curriculum is totally unambiguous because the goal is not divided and the means and the end are in complete accord. You need offer only undivided attention. Everything else will be given you for you really want to learn aright and nothing can oppose the decision of God's son. His learning is un, is as unlimited as he is. Yeah, reminds me of, you know, once you decide the goal, it will be achieved. Mm. Yeah,
1: thanks Jim. The line that jumped out at me was four, and I was thinking, well, I need to offer only undivided attention. Well, good luck with that. How do I do that? <laughs> I mean, I'm always going off, and but I, I think, I think what he's trying to say there is, is you know, stop worrying about how it's done. Stop worrying about what you need to do. Because everything else the whole process is basically given to you you don't have to worry about how it's done or who's going to do it or what you have to do to get ready for it all you have to do is invite it and then watch and wait and you know forgiveness simply looks and waits and judges not i think that's what he means by undivided attention i'm not willing to run off in my head about what's my role in all this not a whole lot (laughs) just to ask for help to see it
7: differently yeah. yeah, very
1: good. Go ahead, Bruce.
7: That, and then, so, yeah, um, that, that undivided attention grabbed me too. And I, I kind of flashed on um, a line in uh, Richard Bach's book, uh, The uh, Illusions, the Adventures of the Reluctant Messiah. And, and some somewhere in there, I think it's when, when Richard is asking Don Shimoda, you know, well, how do you walk through walls? Because he just sees him do that. He says, oh, he says, well, it's the same way you learn anything. And, and, uh, and, and he said, well, when you wanted to learn to fly, you know, you made it look easy. And, and his response was, well, yeah, nothing else mattered. And then he says, Oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> the undivided attention part. We're all working on that one. Thanks.
1: Very good. Thanks, Bruce. Sally, then Christina.
9: I just wanted to clarify what I said about, uh, hands, uh, CD guilt versus remorse. I mean, maybe you all knew what I was meaning, but, um, he says, um, you know, when, 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 the, when we see the guilt, we go within and, and talk to the Holy Spirit, you know, and, and let that love the love come through us and then do whatever it is love calls us to do. We don't have to um, just go out and do something because we feel guilty. We need to go to the love within to decide or to hear uh what what we were to we should what to do to to because the ego does not want to apologize the that's the last thing the ego ever wants to do so I said you know go to love let love do it just wanted to make that clear
1: thanks thanks, thanks Sally yeah I was thinking probably 99 of the time I'm going to do what I'm going to do anyway. But if I do it with the ego, I'm going to blame somebody for something. And if I do it with the Holy Spirit, there won't be any blame in it. Usually it's, it's you know, I'm going to try to be nice. <laughs> but I can try to be nice with the ego, too. I can try to look good with the ego. But if I do it with the Holy Spirit, it won't be a big deal. <laughs> I'll just do it. Yeah. Thanks, Sally. Christina?
6: Yeah, thank you all. I've enjoyed class a lot today. It's just um very good. And I just was had written down for that last paragraph, look within to the teacher of truth, the way unfolds, and then I I just flashed on the Mandalorian scene. This is the way. (laughs) That's
1: all. Yeah, Yeah, I love that line. This is the way. Very good. Thanks, Christina. All righty, let's uh, do a closing. Anybody else on any of that? Oh, my. Yeah,
10: OK. Um, <laughs> it's so amazing how this one section follows another section. This was really beautiful today, and what a, a great honor to be able to laugh that way and together and to share that. And then at the end, those last sentences, for you really want to learn aright, and nothing can oppose the decision of God's son. His learning is as unlimited as he is. And this is the introduction to the next section, the vision of Christ. And as my honor next Sunday to present mm-hmm. that. And as much as we laughed today, yesterday I read through the vision of Christ, and I almost couldn't stop crying of joy. So when you come next Sunday, please bring your tissues. Okay. <laughs> All right. It's, it's totally different. It's so beautiful. It's it's wow.
1: <laughs> Very cool. All right. Ooh, Gave me goosebumps, just thinking about it. All right. Thanks. Okay, let's uh let's uh do a review of tomorrow's lesson, lesson 15. I'm on page 87 in the workbook. <clears throat> Talk about it a little bit. Page 87 of the workbook, it's paragraph 5, a review of lesson 15. Tomorrow's lesson, my thoughts are images that I have made. My thoughts are images I have made. And so everything is a reflection of our thoughts. So it's going to be a reflection. Everything we think we see in the world is going to be a reflection of this basic thought, I'm separate and I attacked, or this basic thought, that's absolutely silly. I can't separate. I can't attack. So it's, the world's gonna reflect one of these two thought systems, one of these two purposes. My thoughts are images I've made, whatever I see reflects one of those two thoughts. It is my thoughts that tell me where I am and what I am. So the ego's thoughts are telling me I'm separate, I'm in a body now, and look whose fault it is, I'm in pain, not mine, somebody else. And uh, my thoughts from the Holy Spirit's point of view Tells me I forgive those images by realizing they are just that. They are images. They're not real. They're not who my brother really is, and they're not who I really am. My thoughts tell me, whether it's ego thoughts or Holy Spirit thought, thoughts, tell me where I am. Ego is going to tell me I'm in a world and a body and what I am. I'm separate, alone, and afraid. Holy Spirit's going to tell me I'm not a body. I'm still in God's love, and we're all still okay. The fact that I see a world in which there is suffering, lost death, shows me that I'm seeing only the representation of my, there's that theme of insanity again, my insane, crazy ego thoughts. And I'm not allowing my real thoughts, the Holy Spirit's thoughts, to cast their beneficent light. And then when finally, the last line, my will is God's will. I'm not really wanting or wishing anything different from him, if I'm honest about it. And I will place no other gods before me. I will place no other learning handicaps before me. I will place no other specialness before me and hang on to it. I will place no other gods before me. So, Lynn, you want to read that one? And we'll get quiet for a little bit, please.
3: Sure. My thoughts are images that I have made. Whatever I see reflects my thoughts. It is my thoughts that tell me where I am and what I am. The fact that I see a world in which there is suffering and loss and death shows me that I am seeing only the representation of my insane thoughts. And I'm not allowing my real thoughts to cast their beneficent light on what I see. Yet God's way is sure The images I have made cannot prevail against him because it is not my will that they do so. My will is his and I place no other gods before him.
1: And gently, gently in this moment, it feels like we've all resigned as our own teacher for a little while anyway. It was <laughs> <Feels> pretty good.
4: <laughs>
5: Great class, Tim.
10: Thank well,
0: you. Thank you. Yes, thank,
10: you. thank you. Yeah, thank you, Tim. Thanks mm-hmm. all.
0: Massey resignation. <laughs> <laughs> mass really like, is that like mad suicide? Thanks, mass yeah, you're all fired. <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> Thanks.
5: Thank you, Tim. Thank you, everyone. Have a good day, guys.